Mask off. Hey, this is, it's been a while since I've been able to see your faces from up here. And can I just say, I'm so thankful for that. <laughs> it's so hard to just see your eyes. Um, hey, look, today we are continuing our little brief hiatus from Romans. Uh, while Matt's away, we had a guest sermon last week, um, Darren in the evening and Sam in the morning. If you missed that, if you missed either of those, go listen to the other one. They were both fantastic. Uh, and they were a real blessing to our church. And so, um, yeah, praise God for those guys down in Liberty Coomera. Um, we are, um, and then the week before that, there was a baptism service. And so we did a standalone message that day as well. And so, yeah, we've got another two weeks off Romans, and then we'll be back into Romans soon. In the meantime, we're going to start, at least for the next two weeks, we'll see what Matt says after that, um, a new little series called The Second Orthodoxy, How the Gospel of grace produces a culture of life. The second orthodoxy, how the gospel of grace produces a culture of life. Before I move any, any like forward at all, I might just do the thing where I define that orthodoxy word, um, just so we don't get confused from this point onwards, right? Second orthodoxy, um, the, the, the quality or state of being orthodox, an orthodox belief or practice. I find that entirely unhelpful because it doesn't answer the question. It's like, yeah, but what's, what's the orthodox thing still? We haven't got there. So I put the other one in. What is the definition of orthodox? This, is, this might be more helpful, okay? Conforming to established doctrine, particularly in a religion, orthodox principles, the orthodox interpretation. So it's conforming to the established religion. If you capitalize it, right, uh, can be relating to or constitu constituting any various conservative religious or political groups, such as the Eastern Orthodox Church, right? The Eastern Orthodox Church, or maybe like we're talking about Orthodox Jews, something like that. Today, we're all about that first definition, not the second one, right? So we're not talking about the Eastern, Eastern Orthodox Church or Orthodox Jews. We're talking about this idea. Well, let me define Let me give you my definition, right? Today, we're talking about true biblical Christianity that Jesus taught, as opposed to like false religion, false doctrine, okay? Make sense? Just talking about like real, actual biblical Christianity, not... We're not, we're not talking about like denominational distinctives or like secondary stuff. We're talking about the, like the very heart of orthodoxy. What is, what is Christianity? Okay. So I've titled this little mini-series The Second Orthodoxy. The Second Orthodoxy. And the idea of the Second Orthodoxy I've borrowed from a um, very famous pastor in like the 20th century, Francis Schaeffer. Many of you might have heard of him. He spoke of these two orthodoxies. So two orthodoxies. The first one is the orthodoxy of doctrine, referring to what it is we believe, right? our, our theology. Orthodoxy of theology. The second one, he talks about the orthodoxy of community. The orthodoxy of community, which is referring to our collective experience of the gospel together. Collective experience of our gospel together. What happens when the gospel actually lands in a church? begins to take root in a church, what is produced among us when that happens. So what Francis Schaeffer is saying is orthodoxy of doctrine isn't sufficient in of itself. There is a second orthodoxy. There is a second orthodoxy. Um, so what a, what a church, let me put it like this, maybe what a church says on its uh, statement of belief page on its website, we believe that's incredibly important, right? Like what a church believes is incredibly important. 
If you know our church, you know we love theology. We're all about that. We should. It is important to us that we think carefully about what the Bible teaches, that we stand up against false doctrines. We push back against error and all those ways we can get these things wrong. We, 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 we care about that a lot. But our doctrinal statement, our orthodox beliefs about God, isn't by itself what makes this church, Northern Baptist, an orthodox church, a biblical church. And that is because what we believe about God must take root among us. It must have an effect among us. Our beliefs about God, our beliefs about the gospel, what the Bible teaches, they are not to remain mere abstractions and concepts. They are to actually bear their authority upon us and produce among us a new thing, a new life. And if they don't, it's because we don't actually believe them, right? That's, that's the idea. We're proving that we're not orthodox of doctrine, even though we say we are, because it's not producing its fruit. Now, our orthodoxy, our doctrine, our beliefs about God and the gospel, what, what it is we're learning in Romans, for example, it must produce a new kind of community from a new kind from the rest of the world, right? a counterculture. Our culture is to stand in contrast. What happens among this community of faith is to stand in contrast to the rest of the world. Uh, the way that Ray Altman puts it, he, he says this a million times, so I, I couldn't pick one quote, but he just says this gospel doctrine, it just produces gospel culture. Gospel doctrine produces gospel culture. Let's maybe think about one than the other and think about how, like, what one would look like without the other. I think that might be a helpful place to start. So, for example, we can say that a church, um, which maybe has, like, a, like a, 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 on the surface, a gospel culture, but lacks gospel doctrine, we can say that that church isn't a church. It's not, a, it's not an orthodox church, right? If they, if they love each other well and they kind of seek to honor each other and they, they care about the lost and they, they seek to worship God, and they're sincere in all those things. But guys, if they don't confess Jesus is God, if they don't believe in a resurrection, if they don't believe in an atoning death for sin, by the way, this is describing lots of churches. Most of them have died out. But if these churches, they like, they're all about the love thing, but they don't really believe Christian doctrine. We can say, look, that's not, a, that's not a doctrine, that's not an orthodox church. It just simply isn't an orthodox church. They fail the test of doctrine. They, they don't believe Christian things, right? It's quite obvious. And at the end of the day, sincere falsehood is still falsehood, no matter how sincere it is. And again, this does tragically describe churches today. I think we kind of understand that one, but I want to think about the other, other side of the coin. A church that is orthodox in doctrine, but does not display gospel culture. I'm talking about a church that their doctrinal statement is thorough, <laughs> biblical, true. They say all the right things. Their impeccable statement of belief, their governance structure is wise and biblical. They uh, seek to have their church line up with the word of God in details. They care about what God says about theology. They stand firm on doctrine. But if that church lacks love for one another, if that church uh, is proud and arrogant towards outsiders who are different from them, if that church 
is known for its harshness and its rigidity towards one another, if that church is a place where people are not free to confess their sin without fear of stigmatization, penalty, some kind of relational penalty, some kind of shaming, then no matter what that church says on paper, that church is simply not orthodox because it fails the test of community. Its beliefs about God have not translated to a real lived out culture of gospel culture, right? And tragically, these churches as well absolutely exist, tragically exist. So thinking this through for our church, personally, I don't want to see Nogra fall into either of those two categories. Uh, Personally, I don't think we are in much danger of the first, although that doesn't mean we aren't and we mustn't be careful. We mustn't kind of let down our guard when it comes to doctrine. I think we must be careful of that always, but I don't think that that is a current danger of this church here. But I think we're almost always in perpetual danger of the second. I think that. I think we're almost always in perpetual danger of, of, of building a culture where we believe one thing and, and, and do another. And I, believe, I think we're in danger of that because I think I'm capable of that myself. I think I have been capable of that in the past. I think I am presently capable now. If we together as a church, an Baptist church, if we begin to switch off to the fact that God is among us, we all become complicit in building a culture where we're just going to do church. We don't want that, do we? We don't want that. I think I am personally capable of that, of just doing church, switching off to the spiritual realities that are true among us. So I think there is a lot, of, lot at stake for us as a church to be away, awake and aware of where we're truly at. And so today I want to, I suppose, here, here's what I'm asking. Here's what I'm asking today. For the next two weeks, let's just stop and try and take stock of where we're really at with this. With building a church where the gospel is clearly king. Jesus is truly king. Let's assess our culture as a church. I think there's a million different ways this can play out. We're going to look at one today, uh, which I think is the first step. Uh, we'll get there in a, in, a, in, a, in a moment. But I think there's a million different ways this can play out. For example, we can be a, prayer, we can be a, uh, a church that believes that God is powerful and at work in the world, and yet simultaneously just neglect prayer as a church. Guys, that's, that's like heretical. We're failing the test of orthodoxy of community, if that's the case. We can be a church where we believe that God is gracious and we're just not gracious to one another. We can be a church that believes that we can receive forgiveness from God and we can harbor bitterness towards one another. We can be a church that believes the gospel saves sinners from hell and we don't really care. We're not bold in evangelism. We don't really want to invite people to Alpha because who cares? Guys, that's, that's heretical. Our beliefs must cause us 
to live in light of the truth. Each of those things I just described is practical heresy. So here's what we're doing in the next two weeks. This week and next, we're thinking through as a church what it means to let the gospel shape our culture, what it is we experience as a church individually and together. This new creature that is the church, what does it look like? What does the second orthodoxy look like, the orthodoxy of community? That, that's the question we're asking. Um, so that's the question. How, how do we build a gospel culture, a counterculture that looks different from the world because it's formed from the divine grace of God himself? Um, what happens when the truths we believe, the stuff we're learning about in Romans, for example, is a clear example. I mean, that's life-changing stuff we're learning every single week in Romans. How does, it, how does that then take hold of us and change the rules about what happens among us? Do you know what I'm saying? How does it translate into our church? I think 1 John 1 gives us the very first step we have to take. I don't think we can, we can go past, we can't go, we can't move forward without 1 John 1. This is the first step as a church. It's actually really simple as well. It's one of those messages, I think, just writing it this week. I was thinking, the simplicity of this, like a child understands this. It doesn't make it easy. In fact, first John 1, I think, it does, it does require courage. It's going to take faith. It's going to take a decisive step forwards. Because it does call for a response. A.W. Tozer, let me just... Um, share this quote. Uh, I found it struck me this week. He says this, pseudo-faith, pretend faith, always arranges a way out to serve in case God fails. Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows itself to be stripped of any second way or makeshift, makeshift substitutes. For true faith, it is either God or total collapse. Not since Adam and Eve first stood upon the earth has God failed a single man or woman who trusted him. Our faith has to put us in a position where we are without other options. And I think first, John, this is, this is what we're talking about, right? It's going to take that kind of faith. It's going to take that kind of step among us. Um, and I think it'll be worth it because I think, I think we're all here today at church because we want to be a part of a church that looks like this, right? I think this is true for all of us. We all want to be part of this kind of church. So here we go, 1 John 1. This is John, the disciple of Jesus, okay? One of, one of Jesus' closest disciples writing. He is simultaneously, it's a, it's a really fun passage, funny passage. He's simultaneously really excited about something and really concerned about something. It's kind of got this dual tone to it. Sometimes in the Bible, they're just concerned or they're just happy. This is one of those ones where it's like, this layers here. Um, he's simultaneously very excited and very concerned. This is what he says, and thank you for Pierre for, for reading this earlier. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's, he's talking about Jesus, right? We saw him, we touched him, we were there with him. Um, all that we have seen and heard concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. God, Jesus was with the Father before, before he came as a baby, right? He was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 
That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too, listen to this, so that you too may have fellowship with us and our, indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He's saying, guys, I have got some news for you. I was with him. I saw him. I've heard him. I, like, and I want, I want you to know this and have fellowship with us and the Father and the Son together. 2,000 years ago, God descended into the world, world in the person of Jesus, and nothing has been the same since. And John's saying, I saw it. I was there, and I'm telling you what I saw. We are writing these things. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Look at what he says next. This is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you. I think like anything after that, we should be paying attention to. <laughs> like, guys, this is it. This is the nugget. This is what you need to know. This is the message we received, and this is what we're telling to him, telling you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Here's the message, guys. This, this, this is what we heard from Jesus. This is the message we got from Jesus. This is the message you need to hear from us. We're excited to let you know this. God is light. Do you find that surprising, that that's his nugget, that he wants you to know? This is the message. God is light. I don't know about you, but I was like, I probably would have gone with something else, I think. And at, at that point, I was like, well, at this point, right, John was the one that was with Jesus for three years, not me. And so I think he's right and I'm wrong. Let's just be honest. Um, but this matters, right? What is John trying to say to us in God is light that is so important that maybe we want to kind of, not marginalize, but maybe not think is essential. Let's think through it a little bit together. What is light? Like what, are the, what are the qualities of light? What, 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 are, what is he trying to say to us about the nature of God that we have to hear today if we want to be an Orthodox church? Well, light, light is it's beautiful. It's pure. It's perfect. There's no, there's no shadow in light. I think what John's trying to say here is, is he's trying to highlight, I think, the perfection, the purity of God. Perfectly good, perfectly great, perfectly beautiful, perfectly holy. That he's, trying, that, he's, that he's pointing out that there is no shadow in God. I think what, 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 what this practically means for us, I think, is that we don't have to be a little bit concerned in the back of our brain about that God, like there's no part of him we need to kind of be a little bit wary of. He's purely light. There's no shadow. There's nothing in him that you need to hold back from. And I think that that means that we, yeah, there's, there's nothing to stop us coming to him. There is no shadow in him. He's perfect. Perfectly good. Perfectly holy. But the other metaphor of light, the, the metaphor of light, the, the other thing that it's highlighting, I think, is the self-revelation of God. Okay. God is not hiding. <laughs> Where is he? He's in the light. You can see he's on the shadows. He's in the, he's in the place of obviousness. He is there in the light, easy to find. This is what Jesus says in John 18. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me is not going to walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I'm in the light. That's, that's who I am. I am the light, Jesus says. 
He's calling us today to join him in the light, to be a church that lives in the light, not in the darkness. Here's the problem. And the Bible's going to highlight this for us in the next passage. The light is actually a bit scary. It is, it feels dangerous because it's exposing. If we live our lives in the light, it means we can't hide. And I think we can all think of parts of our lives that we prefer to keep in the dark. This is what Jesus had to say, straight up. He's going to tell it to us really straight. I so appreciate Jesus. Sometimes he just cuts cuts through it all and just gives it to us exactly what we need to hear. This is what he says. This is the judgment. This is the problem with the world. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. He's saying, I'm the light of life. I've come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. God came and we were afraid of him because we knew that we would be exposed for what we are. I mean, that's true for people, but it's true for me and it's true for you. Without the power of the Holy Spirit. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Jesus is he's talking about a self-imposed refusal to come into the light, to receive grace, to receive life, to receive healing, because it means they'll need to get honest with him. Which also means, I suppose, getting honest with ourselves about who we really are and where we really are at. Like Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, we want to stay hiding in the bushes, despite the fact that God is omniscient. He knows exactly where they are. He knows exactly where you are this morning. The darkness isn't dark to him. It's like when my two-year-old, right, closes her eyes and thinks she's hiding. That's, that's us. That's what we do with God, right? God can't see me. He can't hear me. I'm hiding. And this is what has got John so concerned. Remember, he's talking to Christians here, so let's just keep that in mind. He's talking to a church. He's writing to a church. Here's what he's so concerned about. That you and I and collectively as a church, that we would live... We're at church today, right? So, like, the light is at least near us. We live our lives close to the light, in, in, in reaching distance of the light, and yet still refusing to come into the light and hiding in the darkness instead, on the fringes. I'm not talking about the, the people that are, you know, the people that we think would be surprised if they showed up in church, right? I'm talking, to the, I'm talking to us in church this morning, wanting to honor God with our lives, and yet still content to live near the light and not in the light. Close enough to see it, far enough away from it, to be outside of the grace of God that we experience in it. One pastor, he talks about, he uses Judas Iscariot as an example of this. He says, um, Judas, he died of thirst next to the well of salvation. Don't do the same thing. Judas was there with Jesus. He was, he, he was with John. He saw, he felt, he touched, he tasted the truth of Jesus, and he missed it. He was there. 
and he died of thirst next to the well of salvation. So let's not do the same thing. He says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him or we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. In the same way that Judas claimed fellowship with Jesus, he was there, he was one of the twelve, and yet he was in darkness. None of us here want to go down that route. But, here's the answer, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's pretty clear. Can we we agree this? This isn't complicated. Here is the decision we have to make. Are we going to choose the darkness or the light? There's two ways, two paths, two two ways to live our life. He said, walk in the light. This is the idea of like walking is the idea of living your life in, right? Um, In the light with Jesus, confessing our sin to one another, honesty before him, or the darkness outside of the grace of God in a place where we cannot and will not receive healing and grace. So here's the million-dollar question, right? The million-dollar question, when we read a verse like that, what does it mean to walk in the light? What does it, what does it look like? What does that mean? What, what are we talking about here? I think it's probably the, the helpful to start with what it doesn't mean. So what, what can we rule out that it's not saying? Because there's something very obvious we need, to, we need to point out here. What this is not saying for certain, it's definitely not saying, be sinless. Living in the light means never sin again. How do we know that he's not saying that? Why? Because he goes on to say, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. Okay. What's the opposite of deceiving yourself? Honesty? If it's true that there are no sinless people, like verse 8 just said, then that means the only people, the only ones who are walking in the light, are sinners. Isn't that good news? The only ones. There's no one else out in the light but Jesus himself. Real sinners, with real baggage, with real problems, with real hurt, with real ongoing struggles in their lives, are the ones out in the light. This is not about sinlessness. This is about honesty. Which means there's room for all of us out there. There really is. There's room for all of us out in the light. And so, yes, this is going to take courage. It does. But it's also quite simple, isn't it? The only thing stopping us is ourselves. So let's, let's admit this is hard. This isn't easy. This is going to take a decisive move on our behalf to respond to this invitation but it's really and truly the only way. It's the only way to come to God. The darkness, it feels safer. 
but it's not safer. Jesus today, Jesus today, through this passage, I believe, is beckoning us, come into the light. Come into the light. Come live in the light. Come walk in the light as I am in the light. The darkness is where we go to die. Light is where we go to live. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, famous uh, German theologian back Nazi resistor in the World War, he said this in his book, Life Together. He said, you are a sinner, a great desperate sinner. Thanks, Dietrich. Now, come as the sinner that you are to the God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you, a sacrifice, a work. He wants you alone. Listen to this. You can hide nothing from him. Like Adam and Eve, right? Like my violet closing her eyes and pretending that I can't see her. You can hide nothing from God. The mask you wear before men will do no good before him. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. Has the cross not convinced you of that yet? He wants to be gracious to you. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and deceiving yourself and your brothers as if you were without sin. You can dare to be a sinner. Yes and amen. Friends, if this church is going to be an orthodox church, we need to dare to be sinners so that we can receive grace. So, today, isn't it time you stepped into the light? Maybe you've been there before and it was hard and you've drifted into the darkness. It's time to step back into the light. That's where healing comes from. That's where God's grace is. That's where Jesus is himself. He's asking us, inviting us in. So specifically... What does that mean for you? Specifically, is there an area of your life that you have left in darkness, unsubmitted to God? It's time to bring it into the light. It's time to talk to someone about it. Have you ever confessed it to a brother or a sister? It's time to talk about it. It's time to bring it into the light. I'm going to give you one example, and it's just the pointiest one I could think of. Um, and it's mainly for the men, but it's not just for the men. Um, there's a new book out, which has my full endorsement that I'd love to encourage you to get. Here it is here. It's called The Death of Porn. Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility. The Death of Porn. Men of Integrity Building a World of Integrity. If you feel stuck in the dark, if you feel trapped by this particular sin, can I give you a next step to step out into the light? Really simple. Buy this book. Come get it off me if you want to. Buy this book. Secondly, tell a brother you love and respect and you trust that you are buying this book. Book an appointment today to sit down with that brother and tell him about what's really going on. Take that next step. That is exactly what, look, what walking in the light looks like. You might say, that sounds crazy. Like, that's, that's, well, it sounds awkward for a start. Yeah, 
Okay. That's not crazy. Do you know what crazy is? Crazy is dying of thirst next to the well of salvation because you don't want to have an awkward conversation with someone. Ouch. Death of porn, Ray Ortland, men of integrity building a world of nobility. Read that book. Have a conversation with a brother. Get it in the light. That's where healing starts. Okay? Here's what happens. Verse 7. We've got it up on the screen. Two things happen when we walk in the light. Okay? If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We're going to do it in two parts. Um, first part, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Fellowship is one of those words that's in the Bible that in Christian culture has kind of come to mean nothing because uh, it gets overused. It does not mean kind of the relationship among acquaintances because we're Christians. Fellowship is a deeper thing because look how we get it. Do you see, see that? It's a gift we receive together when you and I both step out into the light together. Do you see that? Fellowship is not a thing we can have without that. We just can't. Fellowship is the gift God gives us when you and I both step out into the light together. Fellowship is what happens when we drop our pretense, we drop our shiny facade, we stop trying to project to the world what we want them to see, and we tell people what's really going on. We open up to what's really hard in our lives, the real struggles we're having, our real doubts about God. Church, can I just say, this is a safe place for you to confess you're having doubts about, about God. This is. This must be. If we're going to be an Orthodox church, you must feel safe in this church to share what's really hard or we're failing the test of Orthodoxy. Do you understand? This is a place where we must admit when our faith is weak admit when we need help, admit when we're failing and when we're hurting. And fellowship is what happens. It's, the, it's what happens when we step into that sacred space together as a church. Do you understand? The grace of God comes alive when we do that together. James 5.16 commands us, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Confess your sin and pray. Galatians gives us a little bit more to go on. He says this, Brother, if anyone is caught in any transgression, I love how broad that is, if any of us are caught in anything, here's what we do. You who are spiritual, so you Christians, this is how you behave, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I love that verse. You who are caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you restore that brother in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you be tempted Let's not pretend that sin isn't dangerous. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Friends, you weren't meant to be able to fight sin on your own. God gave you a family. God gave you fellowship. Through this community of faith, this orthodoxy of culture where we come 
together and we experience the grace of God together and we bear one another's burdens. I love this line. And so fulfill the law of Christ. So this is how it should go, right? Um, a friend confesses a sin to you. You are, you are spiritual. Do what? You restore that brother. You pray for that brother. And Paul says what you're doing then is you are fulfilling the law of Christ. The way I think about that verse is this. You are doing, you are, you are ministering on behalf of Jesus in that moment. Jesus is there by the Holy Spirit and you get to, you get the privilege of, of, of being the vessel through which God blesses a brother with grace. You are fulfilling the law of Christ. You are doing what Jesus himself would do in that moment. Jesus knows that a sinner caught in sin does not need a blasting. Especially one confessing sin. Jesus knows that that brother needs restoring. I think of the, uh, the woman at the well, right? Caught in adul- adultery in verse chapter 8 of John. Woman discovered in adultery. They drag her out onto the street to stone her. I'm not sure where the guy is in all of this, by the way. Um, Jesus steps in. And what does he say? He says this famous line, let he without sin cast the first stone. You guys think you're sinless? Well, you guys feel free to have a crack if you're sinless. And one by one, they walk away until it's just Jesus and this woman who's caught in obvious sin as well. What's Jesus' response to this woman? Certainly not, hey, don't worry about your sin. He says, neither do I condemn you. So go and sin no more. Come and walk into the light where I am in the light, he's saying. Friends, Christian fellowship is a gospel, it's a a counterculture. Do you understand that? It's different to the rest of the world. It has both honesty and gentleness. And it is where where we don't hide, but we stand by one another and bear one another's burdens for the sake of Christ. Galatians 6.1. So I pray that this church would be a place where we would be able to be honest with one another for the sake of Jesus and for the glory of God. Number two, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have, one, fellowship with one another, and two, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You want to know where the cleansing comes from? It comes from the being in the light where Christ is. It comes from his blood. And again, look at that word all. This isn't some sin. This isn't small sins. This is comprehensive All sin is washed away by the flood of Christ's blood, the flood of his grace. The cross of Christ is the full heart of God opening up to guilty sinners who need cleansing. If you want cleansing, this is where it comes from. This is where it comes from. Octavius Winslow. Octavius Winslow, my favorite name ever. Um, English preacher from the 1800s, he said this. Longish quote, I'm sorry, friends. He says, The cross of Christ, Christ, the cross of Jesus, displays the most awful exhibition of God's hatred of sin, and at the same time, his most august manifestation of his readiness to pardon it. Pardon, full and free, is written out in every drop of blood that is seen, is proclaimed in every groan that is heard, and shines in, in the very prodigy of mercy that closes the solemn scene upon the cross. O blessed re- door of return, open and never shut to the wanderer from God. I love that. That door's never shutting. 
the wanderer from God is welcome in the house of God. How glorious, how free, how accessible here. The sinful, the vile, the guilty, the unworthy, the poor, the penniless may come. Here too, the weary spirit may bring its burden. The broken spirit, its sorrow. And the guilty spirit, its sin. The backsliding, backsliding spirit, its wandering. That, that, just, that describes all of us. That's, all, that's us there, right? Sinful, vile, guilty, unworthy, poor, penniless, broken of spirit, weary spirit, guilty spirit, backlighting spirit. The death of Jesus was the opening and emptying of the full heart of God. It was the outgushing of that ocean of infinite mercy that heaved and panted and longed for an outlet. It was God showing how he could love a poor, guilty sinner. Amen? Amen. Friends, that ocean of mercy is waiting for you in the light. So come into the light. This is where you might know grace, forgiveness, mercy, cleansing. Who of us doesn't need to feel cleansed today? Well, grace of God, we can have that today. Let me just read one more time and we'll close. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be a church, a genuine church, an orthodox church, a church that believes your gospel is true, believes rightly about you, Lord, but is also shaped by those truths. Lord, keep us from this danger of just playing church and, and existing near the light but not in it. Lord, keep us from dying of thirst next to the well of salvation like Judas. Well, that invitation to come is open, it is full, it is free. Would you give us courage, Holy Spirit? Would you move in us now? Give us the courage we lack, I pray. Draw us. Lord, I pray now for those of us in this room who you are just banging down the door of trying to get our attention. Lord, and we know it. I pray for full and total surrender to your grace today. Lord, would they step out into the light where you are in the light. Wash away their sin and their shame. Lord, that is a promise that we can count on. It's a promise we can build our life on. As, as Tozer said, Lord, we don't want any second options in case you fail us, Lord. We want to live our lives banked fully on your grace and mercy. And if that's in the light, then, Lord, we're going to make that risk. 
and go all in on your grace. I'm going to pray for this church, that we would be a place where honesty, openness, and transparency, and lack of pretense would just be the norm. Lord, would we say as a church, would we say a hard no to posturing? Pretending? Lord, would we get honest with ourselves and get honest with you, get honest with one another? Would we confess our sins so that you might heal us, as James says? Lord, you are here among us. You truly are. Lord, for those times where I struggle to see it, do you open up my eyes? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your blood. It cleanses us from our sin. It makes us new. gives us a new hope. Lord, we want to be in the light as you are in the light, Lord. So help us to walk out into that light and live there. Give us joy in that, Lord, I pray, as a church. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, man.